And so he said to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire of the word of the Lord today. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Today, Pastor Rob begins chapter 22 in the book of 1 Kings. King Ahab of Israel asked King Jehoshaphat of Judah to help him in this dispute against Syria. This made some sense because Ramoth Gilead was only 40 miles from Jerusalem. However, King Jehoshaphat requested King Ahab to inquire of the Lord. Considering the generally adversarial relationship between Ahab and the prophets of Yahweh, this was a bold request for Jehoshaphat to ask of Ahab. It wasn't surprising that Ahab picked prophets who would tell them what they wanted to hear. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins chapter 22 in the book of 1 Kings. Uh, tonight we have a long chapter ahead of us. It's chapter 22 of 1 Kings. It's the very last chapter of 1 Kings. And next Thursday evening we'll get right into 2 Kings, which I'm really looking forward to. But uh, just to kind of recap what happened last week, you remember that Ahab, who was the king of Israel, the northern ten tribes, he has a, a winter home, if you will, in, in, the, in, um, in Jezreel, and it is a place just a little bit southeast or southwest of, of the Sea of Galilee, as you and I would know it. But the capital, the capital where the king would normally be, is even further south than that, uh, a little bit south and, and even more west in the uh, in the area of Samaria, which is the capital of the northern ten tribes. It was originally a threshing floor uh, that um, Omri, who was one of the sons of Jerob or the son of Jeroboam, or you know, grandson or whatever, he was the one who actually um, bought the threshing floor from a man named Shemer. And this man named Shemer uh, received the funds, and it's basically a hill. It's great for threshing wheat or whatever, grain. And Omri uh, changed the capital, which was Tirzah, whom Jeroboam made it his capital. And then he, uh, Omri was the one who bought this, this threshing floor uh, from Shemer. And Omri decided to name this city on a hill after the, after the original owner. So he called it Samaria from Shemer. And so he gives it to him. But now... Ahab, in his winter times, uh, he goes up a little further north, 
And um, at some point during the year, he goes up there to Jezreel, to his other palace up there. And remember that he saw a vineyard next to him who belonged to Naboth. And Ahab wanted this vineyard for his own vegetable garden. And it really wasn't right for Naboth to give his, or sell or even give to the king uh, this plot of land. Because that plot of land goes to his family and it stays within his own tribe. And that's really important. And that, that was back in the Old Testament law. And, um, and so he, he, he tells the king, I can't sell it to you. And the king got mad. And so he did what every powerful man does. He goes home, crawls into bed with his face toward the wall, and pouts. And that's exactly what Ahab did. <laughs> and Jezebel hears about it. She goes, but you're the king of Israel. You can do whatever you want. My daddy she would say, who was the Ethbaal, uh, the king of uh, Tyre, he would just take control over the land, and you can do that. In fact, if he's not going to give it to you, I'll secure it for you. So she takes his signet ring, and she gets a letter, and she signs it with Ahab's signet ring, and sends it to the city where Naboth lives, and says, make a fast and, and put Naboth, or Naboth in, a, in a place of prominence, and then, we're, then we'll have, have a two, two men come in and uh, basically tell everyone that this man has committed a, you know, a blasphemy against God and against the king. And without any due process, they grab the man and they take him out and they stone him to death outside the city walls. Jezebel comes back to Ahab and says, guess what, your plot of land is yours now. And she did all of this and he was complicit. He didn't stop her. He should have stopped her, but he didn't. And then Elijah the prophet comes and he con- uh, condemns, uh, the God condemns Ahab for what he has done. He's taken an innocent man, property that didn't even belong to him, and he allows his wife to be the person to uh, secure this land and then to kill its owner. And, and remember that Elijah, uh, by the hand of God, sends uh, Elijah to Ahab and he says, um, and, and the Lord says to him, Behold, I will bring calamity on you, and I will take away your posterity, and will cut off from Ahab every male in Israel, both bond and free, and take your house from the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, because of the provocation with which you have provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. And, and, and God even goes a step further, and he says, Oh, by the way, concerning your wife, Jezebel, the dog shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. And the dog shall eat whoever belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field. But there was no one like Ahab. Notice in verse 25 of chapter 21, there was no one like Ahab who sold himself. You know, we talk about selling yourself, selling your soul to the devil. We, we, talk, we use that phrase. Well, this is what he did. He basically sold himself as merchandise, to do evil and wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Now, he was complicit in it, and he was evil, an evil man, but his wife was like the icing on the cake, and she was the one to introduce him and, and spur him on and, and kind of be a catalyst in this wickedness that he would do. And we will find out that God will come true on his prophecy and we'll see that in Second Kings chapter 9. Uh, Jezebel will be put to death. And it is a horrible death. And when you read it, it just makes you 
kind of recoil because it's just so awful the, the way this whole thing came out. But you know what? I think sometimes we take a, a very easy path with sin. We, we don't really take it seriously. We don't realize how ugly it is to God. And it really is important that we take serious concern over our own hearts today. We can't just allow ourselves to, you know, there's an old phrase, you know, if it feels good, do it. Well, our culture is right now the product of a generation, for probably many generations, that have caved into that slogan and said, yes, if it feels good, do it. We've done that. And where has it gotten us, honestly? Ask yourself the question, when you were living in the world before you came to Christ, did the motto, if, if it feels good, do it, where did it get you? Did it lead you into a great place? Was it a place that you could honestly say that, you know, I'm here because the Lord put me here? Or is it, have you found yourself in a pit of despair? Have you found yourself heartbroken? Have you hurt people around you because of your adherence to the slogan, if it feels good, do it? Yes, the flesh, it, it, it's all about the flesh. But see, we've been called to something greater. We've been called to a relationship with Jesus Christ. We've been called to live as Jesus lived. And that's a very tall order. I can't do it in this natural flesh. It is impossible for me to do it. The harder I tried before I came to Christ, the more I failed. And the more I was fixated on my sin. And therefore, all I did was think about it. And I continued this perpetual thing of just messing up one, you know, at, right after another. Have you, does that ring a bell? Does it... Can anybody say tonight that sounds like me, (laughs) especially before you came to Christ? But he's given us such a wonderful heritage, Jesus has. He set us free from the penalty of death and hell. He set us free from this old nature of being so dominated by it. When the Spirit of God comes into you, like I was joking earlier, that there's a new commander in town. There's a new sheriff, and he's got way bigger guns. And he is victorious before he even pulls them out. He's already won the battle. Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God indwelling you, you and God as a majority. Actually, God all by himself is a wonderful majority, but you and God alone, with nobody, no help from the world, is a majority because nothing can stand in your way if you're walking with him. He can do more through one person than he can do through an army if he chooses to. God, is his arm is not slack. It is not weakened. He's not an impotent God. No, he is all-powerful. And there's no one that can stand against him and challenge him. They will all fall and crumble. And see, that's the God that we serve. Can I see a big smile on your faces? (laughs) Because that to me is the greatest news. I know that he loves me. And I know that he died for me. And I know that my sins have been forgiven. Not because of anything that I've done, but because of all the things that he did. And the single act of worship, the one greatest act of worship on the cross at Calvary, Many thousands of people in history have been crucified, but there's only one who had the very blood of God who dared to, to allow himself. He was no martyr. He willingly laid down his life for us. And that victory on the cross is what I put my hope and my faith in. That's the, oh, my only reason I'm going to heaven is because of what he has done. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with my performance. I can't do enough good works. And I love that. And Ahab was missing the boat. 
And yet, remember last week we talked about God's grace and mercy even upon this evil man. God gave him so many opportunities and just little um, uh, tokens of grace and mercy. You know, uh, it was just so wonderful to see how God had extended to this evil man opportunity. And then to even see Ahab, this idolater, to see him at times even crush, you know, be, be, you know, humbled himself when the prophet would tell him something this man had something in him and God saw it nobody else saw it but God saw that there was something in this guy yes he deserves to die because he's a horrible wicked idolater but God saw deeper than the externals he even saw deeper than his uh the things that he had done but by the way he responded to things that were judgment that was coming against him he wept He put himself in sackcloth. He did these things, and God says, Elijah, do you see how this man responds to the word of God? He goes, because of that, I'm not going to do this evil upon him in his time. It's going to happen in his son's life, but not his, because he humbled himself. And isn't that wonderful to think? That regardless of how far you've gone, God sees the the little flame in your heart. And instead of extinguishing it like the world does, he's the one who's fanning it, trying to, as it's smoking. Have you been building a fire? You know, if you, if you, if you go out and you do any camping and you, and you actually try to make a fire, like for real, and not use those little sticks that I use to cheat, I put them underneath the wood and I light them and I sit back and I wait and it's done. But, you know, to actually do it with leaves and the match and, and try to get a, a fire done and then you're fanning the leaves and then you put a little stick on a few twigs and then you're, you're doing all that. Well, God, he sees that little flame and he does everything to encourage it. What, what, what does the Bible say? You know, a bruised reed he's not going to break. And a smoking flax he is not going to quench. But rather, he's going to blow on it. He's going to encourage it. And he does it in Ahab's life. We've seen it last week. And we're even going to see God's grace in this evil man's life tonight. Because God forewarns him. He tells him exactly what's going to happen if he goes through with what he plans to do. God tells him, Ahab, if you do this, you are not going to live. You're going to die in this battle. And it would have been good for him to say, you know what, I believe God, because you know, every time he's told me this stuff through my enemy, Elijah, it's come to pass. So I think I'm going to listen this time. But does he listen? No, he doesn't listen, and it will cost him his life. And how important is obedience to the word of God? When God tells us to do something, see, I don't read this so that I can tell other people about how they should live. See, there are Christians who read the Bible and they say, oh, this is a great, this is a great verse from my aunt. You know, she double-crossed me and boy, this verse is going to stick her right in the heart and I'm going to text it to her right now. You know, and then we're, you know, we, we get that attitude and we're just like, we use the Bible, this wonderful, sweet word of God, we use it like a sword. It is, it's sharper. It's, what does the Bible tell us? His word is a sharp, it's a two-edged sword, able to discern between the bones and the marrow and the soul and the spirit. So fine, we don't even know. And yet he knows, he, he knows the intents of our heart. And the word of God is there to search it out. But we can't use it on other people. Use it on you first. Let's use it on ourselves. More importantly than anything else, Lord, this... Let's read now. So after this issue with 
Ahab taking this vineyard over and Jezebel doing the work for him, forging his signature, if you will, and then killing the man and, and when he was an innocent man. So after all of this, and after Elijah comes to him and says, Ahab, because you have done this, you're in a heap of trouble. And he lays it, lays it out there for us in the last part, you know, from really verses, uh, you know, 20 uh, of chapter 21, uh, verses 20 down through, um, you know, 24, 25. And so now we get into this last chapter, and I'm just going to read the first 40 verses just to kind of get the context of it, and then we're going to go back and just take a look at a few things. So open your Bibles to 1 Kings 22. Now notice, after this, now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel, and then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And you might be scratching your head, why would this wonderful king of Judah go down you know, to visit this ungodly king? Hmm. Verse 3, And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And so he said to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Also, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire of the word of the Lord today. Thank God. (laughs) Will you please inquire of the name of Jehovah today? And then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? And they all said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? And so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. (laughs) You know, I have to comment on this just really quick. I wonder the tone of his voice. You know, I I just wonder, you know, because inflection means everything, isn't it? And I would love to, you know, to know the inflection of how Jehoshaphat say that. (gasps) Don't let the king say so. I I just, I wonder what kind of... um, Anyway, I'm ill, so i got to go on here. I'm really not ill. I mean, I just, whatever. So here we go. And Jehoshaphat said, "Let, let not the king say such things. And then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before him. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenaiah, or uh, uh, Chenaana, I'm going to butcher that name, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. And then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with, with one accord encourage the king. Please, let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. 
And then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go, prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And then he said, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains. Finally, the prophet comes clean here. I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master, and let each one return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And then Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by and on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one in this manner and another spoke in that manner. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, Micaiah says to them, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chenaana, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. And so the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace and the Lord has not spoken by me, or I'm sorry, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. And so the king of Israel, Ahab, he disguised himself and went into the battle. Now the king of Assyria, or king of Syria, excuse me, had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, Fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. And so it was. When the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat, that they said, Surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. And now a certain man drew a bow at random with an arrow, and he let it go. And struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. And so he said to the driver of his chariot, Turn around and take me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot, facing the Syrians, and died at evening. And the blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went out throughout the army, saying, Every man to his tent and every man to his country. And so the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed, according to the word of the Lord which he had spoken. 
I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.